This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. I, um, I'm actually just going to read verses 11 through 13 today. Um, Donna did a great job last week. Um, Ethan and I watched it flying down the I-90 in Montana with our little, you know, phone. It was on the, the floor. I wasn't actually, I was not watching it as much as I was listening to it, but, um, uh, but it was good. It was really good. And what she did a really great job of was explaining how a nation, uh, is, is can move towards becoming, uh, Babylon. And what, I wanted to talk about for these next few minutes that we have together is that if you are in Babylon, then how do you live in Babylon? How do we disciple our children in Babylon? And how do we not just survive in Babylon, but how do we thrive in Babylon? Because I think that's what God wants from us and is empowering us to do. So to that end, I want to read just these few verses with you because I want to describe uh, what Babylon is um, just on these few verses. Uh, Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. It's literally like the Sears wish book of Babylon. Like this is, or maybe the Amazon.com, I guess would be a little more appropriate, of Babylon. All this stuff is available there. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense of wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, carriages. And your version, if you've got a King James, might say human souls. But the appropriate translation, it's actually the word nefesh, which is like a disembodied, what, like the spirit of it. The, the translation is human beings sold as slaves. That is what John is talking about. And he leaves it at the last, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we would then know that this was the one that's the most important on this. Of all this list, this is the one that he wants us to make sure we don't miss. So that's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your word. And thank you, Lord, for... uh, giving us a playbook for how to live in the world that we are currently in right now. That we are in a, not just the United States is Babylon, we are in a global moment of Babylonian influence that doesn't just exist in the United States, it exists worldwide. But you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, and you want us to be empowered for this. And so that's our prayer that you would show us your wisdom today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Babylon is an actual idea of something that is coming. And it's actually an actual city that already existed. Babylon is in Iraq, modern day Iraq. 
And by the way, I just spoke with our friends in North Africa as well as in the Middle East, and they told me that there are thousands, this was their word, thousands of uh, people who were former Muslim extremists, like ISIS kind of people, who have, have and are coming to faith and they are infiltrating what they call the land of Daniel, by the way. Isn't that interesting? They don't call it Iraq. They call it the land of Daniel. And you know who makes really great not scared evangelists? Former Christian killers. Right? That sounds harsh, but the Apostle Paul, he was pretty good at it. And then they couldn't stop him because of it. This is happening right now. And that's just in that part of the country. Talking with um, my buddy, um, Cleo, we had a conference call Friday morning from North Africa. And he was telling me what's happening even there. Thousands of people. So these COVID lockdowns that are uh, literally strangling economies, they're searching for Jesus. They're searching for truth. People are having dreams of a white guy in white appearing to them. He said, for the first time in his ministry of leading the underground church in North Africa, that he officially has more people to reach out to than he has people to do the reaching out. And we have been a part of that as a church family. Uh, we've bought cars for them. We've helped them buy a apartments. You can't just go start a church and get a building. They rent apartments that they can only rent for two or three months at a time because if word gets out. So they meet there for a little bit and then they go to the next church and they get another apartment. And apparently you just ride into town. Maybe this is how it works these days in Spring Hill. I don't know. But you just ride into town and there's guys on the side of the road with motorcycle with just keys. And you're basically going to grab one of those guys, get his keys, and you go pay for your three or four months in this apartment in North Africa. So we've been believing God for more revenues to help with them. We've um, looking at, uh, you might remember, we sent two Ethiopian pastors there from back in the spring. They're there right now. Uh, they come from a Muslim context, so they understand. They don't have any American baggage as far as they're not targets of radical Islamists. And Jesus is doing amazing things with those pastors. And so we're believing God that that will... Uh, be, but it's all here. It's in the land of Daniel. That's my main reason in telling you that. And to also tell you that we could never do any of this if it wasn't for your radical generosity. You guys make this stuff happen, not me. I have the easy job in the world. Like, oh yeah, let's go do that. Let's go save some people in North Africa. Uh, but you guys and your generosity are what make that even possible. So that said, in the land of Daniel is where Babylon was. And by the way, if you're wondering, do I live in Babylon? I'm going to give you a little uh, checkmark list. This is, I guess this could be a, you might be a Babylonian if redneck joke, but, um, so I, but I'm not that funny. So you guys will have to make the jokes yourselves, but signs that you're living in a Babylonian culture. One in chapter uh, 18 there is the merchants of the earth weeping. A global economy is part of what it takes to make it Babylon. Remember, there was a literal Babylon. There's a literal Babylon today. In fact, it's 50 miles southeast of Baghdad. It's basically Murfreesboro, as best I can tell. Like it's, it's, that, it's a town. It's a functioning city. But the idea of Babylon spiritually and demonically is a, is a world system. And that's why God chooses this world system to identify it so that we will see it again. And so a global economy is part of what is the, the Babylonian idea. 
that we have never lived, by the way, in a world that I'm aware of where the entire world right now is more interconnected and intertwined than it's ever been in history. Whether it's the Chinese, the Venezuela, the North Dakotans, like we're all woven together in this global economy. A second thing in Babylon was precious stones. That was part of their cargo that they couldn't sell anymore. Diamonds and rubies. And, you know, our modern version, by the way, of precious stones. Um, do you guys remember the Blood Diamond movie? Was that the Leonardo DiCaprio dude? Yeah, that, that movie. Like, that's true. That stuff is happening in West Africa and still happens. Conflict-free diamonds is something that they talk about that's important. And so we feel like we've got all that under control. But in a Babylonian culture that requires precious stones... One of the most precious stones on the planet right now is something called cobalt. And if you drove here in a Tesla today, you drove here because of cobalt. When you turned on your iPhone or your uh, Samsung thing that makes mine turn green when you text me, um, if you turn that on this morning, not, I guess I am judging, so never mind. Um, it's made of precious stones mined from the earth. Our entire world, and by the way, these are finite resources. There is no cobalt factory where they're making cobalt. This is a, a resource, a mineral that is being mined out of the earth, a metal. And silicon, John, am I right about silicon? Is it a mineral? Yeah. The, my point is precious stones are needed all over the world for us to operate right now. A clue that we're in a Babylonian context. Ivory, costly wood. I've been to East Africa and I've seen what happens to elephants. I've seen what happens when poachers are murdering animals just to get the ivory out of their tusks. We've seen in the Western United States what bad forestation looks like when we're not doing foresting right and the wildfires that are burning out of control. We're seeing what's happening in the Amazon right now. Again, finite resources, costly wood. The environment that God created for us to harm it. And then the last one that I want to talk about on that is as far as your clue of whether you're in a Babylonian culture is the human being sold as slaves. And we can say, man, the United States, thank God we've at least got that one. Except that the cobalt in your phone or the aluminum or the silicon was mined in African countries by child labor and slaves. 4.5 million slaves living in just Pakistan alone. More slaves alive today than ever in the history of the planet. Way more than ever were in the European slave trade right now in our world. Now, how do I live? How do you live? In the words of the great Francis Schaeffer. You guys remember Francis Schaeffer in his book, How Should We Then Live? He wrote these words. He said, if we as Christians do not speak out as authoritarian governments grow from within or come from outside, eventually we or our children will be the enemy of society and the state. No authoritarian government can tolerate those who have real absolute by which to judge its arbitrary absolutes and who speak out and act upon that absolute. Us speaking the truth in a culture that doesn't believe in truth is an act of defiance. By the way, that was written in 1976. Francis Schaeffer, how should we then live? For what it's worth... 
I might add. Daniel's one, chapters one through 10, which we're gonna go to. In fact, if you wanna go there now, it might take you a little bit longer to find it. Ezekiel, Daniel, whatever. In fact, go to Matthew and turn left. It's a lot easier to find it that way than going to Genesis and turn right. But in Genesis one through, or Daniel one through 10, four different kings are mentioned in that passage. Darius, Belshazzar, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, all of them were four different kings. And what I'm, Say that, what I want you to hear me say is that it didn't matter who the king was, Babylon was still Babylon. So you get a new president, you get a new king, great, it's still Babylon. Whether your guy wins or their guy wins, it's still Babylon. And God was still moving in Babylon, whoever was the king. In fact, Daniel 4, the very last verse, which I think is verse 32, it actually talks about, and that night God uh, demanded of his life and took the life of Belshazzar and, uh, and uh, Cyrus took over. Is it Cyrus or Darius? I think it's Darius took over. And here's the thing. What that describes is like a month slash years long war that involved an invasion. It involved carrying off people into slavery. It involved all kinds of crazy stuff. And the Bible gave it one sentence. And it gave it one sentence because that's a footnote in the history of God. But Daniel got a whole book. Daniel gets celebrated in Hebrews 11. You're like, what well, his name isn't in there, but it is when it says, and they shut the mouths of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in there when it says that they quenched the fiery flames. History remembers the courageous. Heaven celebrates the faithful. How do we live in Babylon? How do we thrive in Babylon? I'm just going to give you four things that I see in a flyover of Daniel. And I would encourage you that if you are not subscribed to our deeper podcast, that maybe you subscribe this week, because I'll go way more in depth on this in the time that we don't have here today. We'll take then. But for today, I want to send you out of here with four things from the book of Daniel in the first six chapters. You might see more. Absolutely, let the Lord speak, write, write it down, tune me out for all I care if the Lord is speaking to you. But the number one thing that I see in this is that how do we thrive in Babylon the way that Babylon was trying to destroy them was through infiltrating, through teaching them, through, in fact, Daniel and these four guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names, not their Jewish names, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the first thing that happens when they get to Babylon is that the king is saying, all right, get you guys aside. We want these four especially, and we're now going to indoctrinate you with the wisdom and the literature and the language of Babylon. If you're living in a Babylonian culture, understand that one of the things that that culture wants to do is to disciple you and not the Lord. Parents, I, I've got four kids, three are grown. We are in the same battle you're in. Babylon wants to disciple your children. How do we resist that? How do we fight back against that? What Daniel did was he used the word of God. 
See, the difference between Daniel, it says there that uh, verse 20, chapter 1, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. What is the one difference between Daniel and the magicians? Daniel had the word of God. They did not. Daniel was able to infiltrate into that culture, learn the language, learn the stuff of Babylon, but instead of letting that disciple him, he went back to the word and let the word disciple him in how to act in wisdom inside of Babylon. I say that because when Daniel had a chance to uh, eat the king's royal food, he doesn't. And why doesn't he? A couple reasons I would think why. One is which... The Bible, his Torah, would tell him not to eat unclean foods. And in that context, that actually, that alone could have gotten him killed. Imagine showing up to this house with this giant feast and you saying, that's not good enough for me in that language. But the wisdom of Babylon was eat this and the wisdom of God was stay away from this. And when he stayed away, I love it because it actually says, has anybody ever actually done the Daniel fast? I have not because it's vegetables. So that's, that's like my jumping off point, if I'm being real honest. Um, he, his wisdom was, I'm not doing that because the word of God. And what happened with it was because he let the word of God disciple him and not the wisdom of Babylon. Then his wisdom showed him and it actually put him in a place where they said to everybody, okay, nobody's eating this stuff anymore. We're all going to eat the way the Bible subscribed. Now, in our modern context, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know why? Because we have refrigerators. If you've ever eaten an oyster that is not refrigerated, first of all, I don't know why you would do that, but if you did, it'd wrestle your colon to the ground. You're... They're saying in the Bible, there's, God didn't just make up arbitrary and capricious rules. He knew about salmonella. And I, it's simple. But in our context, there are things right now that Babylon is going to want us to do. We're going to have to go to the word of God and we're going to have to make a choice. Do we let the word of God teach us about sexuality or do I let Babylon? Simple as that. God's methods, God's plan God's design is not a cosmic buzzkill. And if you don't believe that, go with me to West Africa and meet men in a village who have three and four wives trying to keep them all alive and those little children are bent over in fields all day long just trying to keep the food going because they, because they said that uh, multiple wives, that's, that's our wisdom of our culture and God says one man and one woman because he knew that in any culture but especially in that culture, a masculine and a feminine coming together, that's not a buzzkill. That's a good way to raise kids. Are we going to let Babylon raise it or are we going to let the word of God? And in those moments, what we need is the word and what we need is wisdom. The second thing is this. When we get into that moment where Babylon is trying to teach us something, it's not just trying to teach us about uh, information. It's not trying to change what we think. It's trying to change who we are. See, they changed Daniel's identity. It was literally the second verse in. He's like saying, or sixth verse in, we're here, you're going to go through all this training, and I'm going to change your names. 
verse six, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiel, Mishael, Azariah. You're like, oh, who is that? The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. The names that we know them by, even the, uh, the little fruit, what was the little fruit show where they, the tomato thing? Uh, VeggieTales, the little fruit show. Tomato is a fruit, technically. I know it's controversial. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, that was their Hebrew name. Babylon said, hey, I want to change what you believe so I can change who you are. And in our world right now, a modern Babylonian context of that Changing your identity to somebody that you are not. Identity politics. Identity telling our children that you can be whoever you want to be. And sometimes more than once. Teaching a 10-year-old that you could be a male or a female. And I know this is controversial in our culture, but it's not controversial in the kingdom of God. Because what if you choose wrong? I'm now 12 and I've chosen wrong and I've taken these hormones and I've this. What if I'm 15? I mean, dude, when I was eight years old, I wanted a chimpanzee and a semi. I didn't know anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If my mom would have said, yeah, let's go get him a chimp and a semi, what do I know? I'm eight. But you get stuck in that. And now, and this, I'm, this is important because I believe part of what is crushing the souls of our children so many choices, and what if I choose wrong? And the identity begins to crush you because it's not the identity that God has given you that you're discovering from him, but it's an identity that you're trying to make up inside. And if you want to look, there's probably a hundred ways that you could look and try to figure out why the emotional and mental uh, health of our children and our society are collapsing, but I think that is one that you could start with right now. Uh, interesting sidebar the earliest records we have in history of uh, mental health disorders come from Babylon. Anxiety, depression. The more wealthy a culture is, the more isolated you are. The more isolated you are, the more depressed you are. The more anxious you become. We live in a culture that for all of the miraculous things that we are experiencing, it is killing our children. The isolation, the aloneness, and by the way, let's throw a pandemic on top of it and let an epidemiologist tell us to lock our children in their rooms. An epidemiologist, they might know everything about a virus, but they don't know jack squat about the human soul. And by the way, if, you wanna, if you're battling any of this right now in your family, I want to tell you about something happening tonight at Conduit Church. I don't make a dime off of this. I don't make any commission. But Jerry and Tracy Negrato are, are here with us this morning and their ministry, Nothing Hidden, is 100% an assault on the gate of hell of emotional health of our children. Six o'clock, you go to nothinghidden.org. We have a very limited amount of space left to sign up, but if you can, so you wanna be there tonight, you, we'll, we'll make sure that we can get you in. So prayerfully consider joining us tonight at six o'clock for this. We are not going to sit back and let Babylon steal our children without a fight, not on my watch. That's tonight.
What else did Daniel have? Prayer, presence. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Azariah, Mishael. They're being told now by Nebuchadnezzar that you're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace if you don't bow. And what did they do? They prayed. They spent time in the presence of God. They stood there in the identity of who Christ is in their life and in their prayer. They prayed for mercy that God would. And what I love about it is as they prayed, keeping in mind they didn't do, didn't do what Nebi wanted them to do. There are things that you're going to be asked to do, asked to say, more importantly, asked not to say. That's more of our culture right now. That we've got to have the ability to speak up and to say those things, knowing that God is either going to defend us, he's going to protect us. And I love that, that verse. It says uh, when they're standing in front of that, they're standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, God is going to deliver us. We believe that he's going to deliver us out of your hands. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. That kind of power, that kind of presence doesn't come from just white knuckling it. It comes from knowing who your identity is in Christ. And that is the next thing that I see, which is courage. You think it took some courage? Again, if you're locked up in an Afghani village and now you're being locked up in an Afghani prison, those are both bad things. That's not the situation that these guys were. These were governors of states who were being taken out of their power, their position. Babylon was not like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the Tina Turner version. It was LA. It's New York. For them to say, I mean, all they had to do was bow. That's it. That's not that big a deal. To step up like that required it required them to have some courage. In that conversation I had with Cleo this last week, the one thing he told me is that when we talk about persecution when it comes to the Middle East especially, we were talking about this or that, and he actually interrupted me and he said this, Darren, let me tell you, when we talk about persecution, I'm gonna speak from my heart. Okay, this is a guy that literally when he could be uh, arrested could be taken away forever. He's another guy that I had to type a message into a phone to say, hey, Jay, my wife is going to be okay. I've been arrested because we're standing and they're realizing that the cops could be there at any moment in his apartment. But here's what he said. When you talk about persecution, don't talk about persecution, talk about fear. When you talk about persecution, don't talk about persecution, talk about faith. Because if you've got faith, right, you're overcoming that fear, that courage that you need, then the persecution takes care of itself. Who cares whether you're in prison? Who cares whether? Now, that's anathema to us. In fact, most of my friends that are missionaries in China, it's actually a badge of honor. Like, where'd you go to Bible college? That's here. There, it's, where'd you go to jail? Like, they almost don't trust you if you haven't been to jail. And I don't know if that's coming to our country or not, but let's not be surprised if it does, and let's not bow if they do. That's the courage that we need. And I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to let you out of here. That courage does not come from white-knuckling, from trying to be stronger or being better, but it comes from the gospel of Christ himself. Daniel in the lion's den. We've seen it. We've used the little uh, things. What are those things you used to put on the boards, the lithographs? No. Lithographs. Somebody get the nouns. Apparently, I ran out of nouns after first service. The flannel graphs of Daniel and the lion's den. That's, we've seen all of that, but what does it say there in Daniel that why that he did not die that night? 
He said that God shut the mouth of the lions because he found me innocent in his sight. And gang, that's the gospel. You're not going to be found innocent in his sight by being good enough, though. You're going to find innocence in his sight because of the work that he did. In just a chapter in Revelation, I think it's chapter 19, it shows Jesus wearing a robe with blood on the robe. But it was before the battle, not after the battle. Why is that? His robes were smeared in blood, the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice that he paid for you. I'll put it differently. We've said it a couple weeks ago. You're either going to go into the wine press without Jesus or you're going into the wine where Jesus is going into the wine press with you, right? I'm going to put it a little differently. Daniel just recovered and was rescued from a lion's den. In the very next chapter, chapter 7 of Daniel, he sees a vision, and it's of four beasts. And what is the first beast? It represents four kingdoms. The first beast is a lion. You're either going to be eaten by the lion of Babylon, or you're going to be saved by the lion of the tribe of Judah. The blood on Jesus' clothes is the blood that will wash your clothes white. Revelation 7, the 144,000, they're all dressed in white because of the blood of the lamb. Revelation 5 tells us that it is behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Parents, I'm going to speak to you real quick. The best way with your little ones, the Hayes family, all of you guys are young, you can make your young babies, and then there's people my age are a little older now. And leading your children and lecturing your children are two different things. I don't know how much you retain from the lectures of your parents, but I would suspect it's about as much as I did, which is none. But what I learned from my parents was by watching them. And let me tell you what our kids need to see us in Babylon right now. They need to see us as people of prayer. People in the word, using wisdom. Not moving out of fear and raging and being scared. They need to see us as people that are, I, I know my identity in Christ, right? I know who I am in Christ. They need to see us courageous, And everybody in this room, you all can do it. Not because of your strength, but because of the work that Christ did for you. I know some of y'all are tired. I get it. But go to the throne room of grace. There aren't enough tweets in the world to save your children. But a parent standing up and speaking the truth a parent standing up in courage and not going the way that everybody else goes. Let me tell you this. If the opinion that you hold, that the idea that you are putting forth is the same idea that every Silicon Valley tech company, every Hollywood mogul, and every legacy news media person holds, if, if that's the opinion that you have, that's fine, but that's not courageous. That's just going with the crowd. 
Our children need to see us standing up in courage and speaking truth, whatever the consequences, because my God is strong enough to deliver you. God is strong enough to deliver you from the hands of whoever happens to be in charge of Babylon, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Not in Babylon. You do not have to survive Babylon. You get to thrive in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in the hall of faith, that's where all of us want to be, isn't it? Stand to our feet. You do not have to live in fear. You do not have to cower. I challenge you not to. You serve a God of the universe. We don't have, it looks crazy sometimes around us, but we do not have to bow like that. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor because you, oh Lord, you are the king of the universe. Because your robe was dipped in blood, my robe is washed white as snow. You, Lord, grace was not the starting point. It's just the whole dadgum thing. <laughs> we stand today forgiven. We stand here today loved. We stand here today accepted. And out of that, Lord, might the courage rise. Out of that might the faith rise and the wisdom and the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.